So we're just starting a, a six-week series um, talking about love, and this time we're going to get, um, how they say, we're going to get down and dirty and practical. So I'm actually using this lovely book called Conscious Loving uh, by Gay and Kathleen Hendricks, and it's been around for a while, and the thing I like about it is it's that lovely marriage between spirituality and practical wisdom. So hopefully I'm up to the task. Uh, I think you're going to enjoy the book as we cover it. And it has a lot of both practical and spiritual information in it. Now where do we start though? I think the best place to start if we're talking about love and relationships is with a joke. (laughs) Why not? Why not? All right. Two friends are discussing the possibility of love. I thought I was in love three times, one friend says. How so? asked his friend. Five years ago, I deeply cared for a woman who wanted nothing to do with me. Was that not love? the friend asked. No, he replies, that was obsession. And then two years ago, I deeply cared for a very sexy woman who just never understood me. Well, was that not love? No, he replies, that was lust. And just last year, I met a woman aboard a cruise ship in the Caribbean. She was smart, funny, a great conversationalist. Everywhere I followed her on the boat, I just felt lightheaded, and I just had this strange feeling in the pit of my stomach. Well, surely that was love. No, that was motion sickness. (laughs) All right, so do we really know, do we have an idea of what love is? Let's start with the promise of this book. I think every great book starts out with some kind of a promise. You know, if I do the work, If I read the book, what am I going to get out of it? And here's what the Hendrixes say about this. They say, In our journey together through this book, you will learn the intentions that allow commitment, true commitment, to unfold. How to spot and overcome the unconscious patterns that emerge in any close relationship. How to identify feelings and key body sensations. How to tell the microscopic truth. And how to make and keep a true commitment. The ideas in this book apply not only to couples, but to any close relationship. They work even if you have an, I love this, they work even if you have an uncooperative partner. (laughs) (laughs) And they work even if you don't have a current partner. So the idea here is, of course, what we're going to improve, what we're going to study, you know, it's right here, right? If we ever had a thought of changing someone else for our own benefit, um, let's put that aside for the next six weeks anyway and realize that the person that we're really going to work on in relationships is right here. All right, so if we want to talk about conscious loving, maybe a good place to start is even that template for love itself, that idea of love as it comes from God. Now, a lot of us probably don't, I mean, I'm kind of paid to, in a way, think about God's love, but probably it's not something often discussed at breakfast tables and in the theater. But the way I look at it is there's actually a template, if you will, there's an archetype for love kind of at the God level. And this is that overreaching and powerful love that absolutely has no strings attached, that love wherein you're always forgiven. Do you know what I mean? That love that is always perfect and endearing and right there for you. It's that kind of love, you know, maybe Shakespeare was writing about it in some of his love poems, right? That kind of love that sounds beyond the human and into the infinite. Well, my belief is, as close as we can begin turning our earthly relationships, our earthly ideas into love, 
more like that divine consciousness, more like that no-strings-attached love, more like that love that is always there for you, but not necessarily in your face, right? The more that we can make our earthly love like that template of divine love, the better off we are, the more truly loving we are, the more committed we are to our relationships. So if we're going to talk then about conscious love on the human plane, I think an interesting place to start might be in unconscious love. Right? So it's summertime. It's summertime. And I bet all of us have had some kind of a plan this summer, some fairly well-written down set of intentions around, um, let's say, a picnic or um, maybe a vacation, right? You sat down with a partner or a friend or whoever you're going on vacation with, and you made a list of who is going to bring the sleeping bags and who is going to do the, the reservations for the motel and you know what cities you were, if it was a driving trip, you know what cities you were going to stop in. If it was a flying trip, you know what airports and rental cars and all that stuff. When was the last time you sat down and wrote down your intentions around a relationship? You might take an infinite amount of care to make sure that a two-week vacation goes well, but what about a relationship that might last 20, 30, 40, 50 years, right? No, those with great abandon we just plunge into and hope for the best. Well, that is unconscious loving. And, and I got to tell you, the idea of unconscious loving is we simply go with the human templates of love that we've already been exposed to. So we were all raised, well, I suppose most of us anyway, raised in some kind of a family relationship that was modeled for us. You know, many of us have had early relationships in high school and college. We've had relationships with coworkers. We've seen other friends of ours in married relationships and what, was, what that was like. And what I know about unconscious loving is we will simply reenact, if you will. We will simply portray whatever ideas of love have come our way if we don't do anything else, right? We're going to have love, like, like the guy in the story, right? He's going to feel that love, and he's simply going to act upon it, you know, as he was shown to act upon it, from family, from friends, from other relationships. And I tell you, it works for a while. Here's how it's stated in this book. It's called The Shock of Awakening, there is a moment when you first wake up and you begin to notice that you are recycling certain patterns in your relationships with others, right? It's that grand recycling scheme. At this point, you may feel dazed, even discouraged, and the moment can be compared to that of opening a closet into which you have been stuffing things for 20 or 30 years. At first, you're shocked, but then you turn on the light and you get even more upset because you can finally see the extent of the problem. Well, there's good news and there's bad news here. If we want to embark upon a new career, that of conscious loving, that of setting intentions around our relationship, that of taking a new look at love, then the bad news is we've got to turn that light on to what our relationships might be looking like right now. Okay, so conscious loving is the idea of using God's template for love, a template of non-judgment, of respect, of honoring, of both closeness and separateness. 
because many of us had little experience with this kind of love, it's something that may seem foreign at first. And so I'm going to get real practical on us and suggest that the place to start with conscious living is to actually make a list. Just like we're getting ready for that vacation, right? And we want to make sure that all the tickets are in order, all of the reservations are made. You know, ideally someone in the family probably actually has a list down that says, Tuesday we're in Arkansas and we're staying at at the Motel 6, right? And I want to suggest that we can do that even as we embark upon a new relationship or even as we're having a relationship of our own. And, and I did this very simply. I thought, I will do one of these as a sample and share it with you. Now, I know we all have very different kinds of relationships. Some of us maybe want to work on a, a primary relationship. Some of us may want to work on a partnership. Some of us may want to work on a coworker kind of relationship. And I tell you, the steps of this are exactly the same. I did one for a, a simple friendship. And in fact, it's interesting, in ministerial school, they tell you, you know, you're not going to be friends with everybody in the congregation. You're going to love them all, but you're not necessarily going to be friends with them. And although I suppose ultimately that might be true, what I suggest is if you have a template for really what friendship is, it's going to be reflected back to you. And so actually it's with my heart that I enter into this pact of friendship with you all as I describe my intentions for friendship. And this took some work. I spent about a couple hours on this. And if you all want to embark upon this, uh, you know, at home or, or later today, uh, plan on spending a little bit of time. And what the idea here is really to write down your intentions, in this case, for what a friendship would be like what your intentions, what you bring to it. And so here's what I wrote down. In my friendships, I intend to provide a compassionate ear and a non-judging mind. I intend to ask before I offer advice or assistance. I intend to have jolly good fun, to share the joy in my life. I intend to get to know my friends and allow them to get to know me. I intend to be sensitive to people's needs for privacy and space and to provide this area of respect as I can. I intend to do what I say I'm going to do or renegotiate it before I said it would be done. (laughs) All right, so, you know, it's fair to give yourselves an out in these. I intend to be trustworthy and appropriately confidential. I intend to be lighthearted and also faithful to my friends. I intend to discuss areas of bullshit, frankly, yet tactfully, and I invite my friends to do the same. I intend to cut my friends slack when they're having a bad day, and I intend to cut myself slack if it's time to put a friend on the back burner. Now this last one I think is important. I think that sometimes we enter into relationships thinking, you know, come hell or high water, I'm glued to this person, regardless of what they do, how they behave, how they show up, regardless of how time moves on. And, you know, I don't think that's really doing either person in a relationship a fair job here. Things happen. And there may come a time in your own life when simply 
either you or your friend can't keep these intentions anymore. And I think that's perfectly fine. Because what I do know is whatever intentions you have for any relationship, if you hold them closely and pay attention to you, the world will offer up someone to be on the other side of that. The world will offer up someone who absolutely will be the loving, the compassionate, the, the, you know, put, and put your list in there. But whatever it is that you're looking for in a partner, in a friend, in a co-worker, in someone to just hang out with, whatever level of intimacy you want, if you're clear in your intentions and you hold them dear to your heart and you hold up you're part of it. You be that half of the partnership. You be that half of the friendship. You be that good coworker. What I know is the world is going to offer up the other half of that. That's just the way it works. Now, the bad news part of that is there may be times then when we put friends on the back burner, when we say to ourselves, you know, there's nothing wrong with this person at all. I still love them dearly. And... This friendship just kind of seems on hold right now, and that's okay. You know, maybe you're not being able to put forward into it what you thought you would. Maybe they're not going to be able to put into it what they thought they would, and that's okay. Because in this lifetime, we are guaranteed an infinite number of friends. As big as we can make our heart, there is room for one more friend to fit into it. And these friendships can be at any level of love and intimacy, of passion or lightheartedness. You get to determine what it is, and the universe will, will serve it up. That's what I know about friendship. That's what I know about the law of attraction. It's what we teach every, every Sunday in here, and friendships are absolutely no different. So how are we going to start this? This idea of conscious loving, you, you got a, a kind of a hint of my idea of intentions for friendship. And I think you can do that just as straightforward. I think if you look in your own life and you ask what your own intentions are for a friendship, for a lover, for a partner, for a husband, for a wife, for a daughter, for a son, you know, whatever this relationship, whatever this bond is going to be, and you may not have to get into as much detail, right? I tend to be a little retentive, maybe, about some of these things. But whether it be literally written down, or whether it be something that you're just going to bring to the forefront of your own mind and your own heart, what I know is you can have a set of intentions for each relationship that you enter into. If you want to make a list, that would be a cool thing. If you want to just bring it into your intention for this particular relationship... Here's what I'm bringing to it. Here are my intentions for it. And from time to time, I'm going to check myself and see how I'm doing, right? <laughs> now, that's the other part that we have to bring to this because so often what we're quick to do is, is notice whether the other person is bringing what they're supposed to bring to a relationship, right? And then often, then what creeps in that idea of judgment? Well, they're doing a bad job of being a best friend. They're being, you know, a, a, whatever it is, they're, they're being terrible at, at this mother-daughter thing or whatever it is. But usually when you're in that position of judgment, what you're doing is you're holding them absolutely at arm's length and you're actually preventing the reconciliation, you're actually preventing the healing of whatever's going on here through your own set of judgment. So instead, instead of going there first, ask in your own heart 
Am I living up to my half of this bargain? If my intentions are to being non-judgmental, am I being non-judgmental? If my intentions are to uh, cut a friend's slack when they're having a bad day, am I doing that? If my intentions are to call my friend in a loving way on their bullshit, how am I doing in that? Or does it just come across like I'm laying down the law? Do you know what I mean? So let us first look at our own half of any relationship. How am I measuring up to what I would view as my own intentions for love, whether it be a friend, whether it be a partner? Am I participating in the way that I wish was coming right back at me? All right. So I have just a titch of homework for you this week, if you're up for some homework. And then we'll close with a lovely reading from Ernest Holmes, the founder of Science of Mind. Your homework, if you're up to this, is examine a couple of your key relationships. So if you're in a partnership, let's have that be one of the relationships. If you have a, maybe a best friend, let's have that be one of the relationships. If, if maybe you have a strong relationship with some people at work, you know, that might be a third one. But let's take one or two key relationships. If you'd like, if you have the time, go ahead and write up your intentions for that relationship. But if you don't have time to do that, then let us just ask these three questions. How do I benefit from this relationship? How do I contribute to this relationship? And how is control exercised in this relationship. So, so just three questions, and I think that'll get us started. How do I benefit from it? How do I contribute to it? And how is control exercised in this relationship? And we're going to come back next week, and we're going to take a look at some of these issues that perhaps plague us in some of our primary relationships, and we're going to have some more tools for moving forward and making those relationships more the way we would want them to be. But for now, let's close with a, a quote from the Science of Mind textbook of Ernest Holmes. He says, Love is the grandest healing and drawing power on this earth. It is the very reason for our being, and that is why it is that people should have something or someone to love. The life that has not loved has not lived, and it is still dead. Love is the sole impulse for creation, and the man who does not have love as the greatest incentive in life has never developed the true creative instinct. No one can swing out into the universe without love, for the whole universe is based upon it. So let us pray. There is one power, there is one treasure in this universe called God. It is that infinite template of all love. It is that love that is non-judgmental. It is that love that is both uh, freeing and communing at the same time. It is that love that is always in eternal forgiveness. It is that love that exists even in the moment of doubt. And because this is general in nature, because God is here with love for everyone, I know that it's true about me. And I know that my relationships aspire to the same level of love. And so for myself and the people in this room, I know that there is a willingness to release anything that might stand in the way of ever making our relationships more loving, more pure, more godlike. 
There is certain knowledge that love is the most powerful force on this planet. And for each of us here, I know there is clarity for what is working and perhaps what is not working in the relationships that we have right now. And most of all, I know that it is for each one of us to become fully awake in this area, awake to the intentions to which we bring to each loving relationship. And so I am grateful for this. and grateful for this time of uh, just seeing, of absorbing and giving out the love that is in this very room. Grateful always to see love as it takes the form of each person in our congregation. And so with a lot of love, I release this prayer. I allow it to be, and so it is. Thank you very much. Thank you.